for him to act on our behalf. We can boldly ask for him to act on our behalf. Uh, Psalm 17 is printed on page 6 in the bulletin, page 454 in the Black Pew Bibles, or however you want to follow along. Would you listen as I read God's word for us again from Psalm 17? A prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purpose that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love. O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity with their mouth mouths they speak arrogantly they have surrounded our steps they have set their eyes to cast us to the ground he is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush arise o lord confront him subdue him deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword from men by your hand o lord from men of the world whose portion is in this life You fill their womb with treasure, they are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today and this time, and we pray that you'd be with us as we've gathered to hear your word. Lord, we pray that you'd open our hearts and minds, you'd illumine them so that we'd have understanding, and that we'd not just be hearers of your word, but doers of it also. So, Father, we need your work by your spirit to accomplish that. And Lord, I pray where there is uncertainty or confusion, those would be my words and they would quickly pass, but where there is encouragement, where there is exhortation, where we are equipped to live better in this world with you. Lord, I pray those would be your words and they would remain with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, who likes going to the zoo? I like going to the zoo. I don't know if you have, when you get to the zoo, of course, not every zoo has all the same animals. I get that. Uh, But what are those favorite exhibits that you want to see? You know, which, which animals do you most want to go and take a look at? I want to see pandas. I want to see red pandas. I want to see penguins. And we can start going with some more peas. Parrots and pigs and the rest. Right? Th- there are certain things, but I also like to see the big cat exhibit. And yet, I'm often disappointed because they're just laying there, doing nothing, hiding. It's, it is exactly what cats do. But I also saw a video 
of a lioness who was, the video was taken from, thankfully, not inside where the cat is, it's at a zoo, and a toddler is standing up against some glass. And you see the lioness begin to slowly approach, then take flight, and then hit the glass. And thankfully, that glass was there to protect that child. But imagine if you could slow that down frame by frame. Right? You see it all, it all happened very quickly within about 30 seconds. But if you were to slow it down frame by frame, I assure you, you might feel a bit of fear. You might be startled, particularly as you see something large flying through the air towards you or towards a loved one. But then it's also helpful to see that there is protection in place. And maybe a lesson for the lioness, don't try to eat your patrons. There is real danger and real enemies that we face. If you're a Christian right now in Syria or North Korea or Nigeria, you might hear this psalm even a little bit more acutely. Because there are real enemies that come against God's people. And, but at the same time, I was talking to a pastor friend, not in my, our denomination, not in our state, but was telling me with tears in his eyes how a former elder of his church had made separate threats against his person. With elders like that, who needs, well, I don't know, you fill in the blank, right? Like, these things happen. There's real enemies that we face. And David reflects that in this psalm. He leads us to a truth that we need to root deeply in our hearts for whatever danger we might face now or in the future. As followers of Christ, we will suffer unjust treatment and we will live with an uncertain future in some ways. In some ways. But we have a Lord that hears us and is our ultimate protection And so our prayers rise from our trouble to the throne of God's kingdom. And he protects us and keeps us. And so my theme this morning is that the Christian's position in Christ places us under the Lord's protection. So our position, our being united to Christ in relationship to God through Christ, places us under the Lord's protection. So I want to talk about our position and our plea and ultimately our protection. And we've looked at laments, and this is another one. Chapter 12 was a corporate lament. Chapter 13 was an individual lament. This is another individual lament from David. It has that heading, a prayer of David. And I want to remind you of a definition I've given you in the past for lament. Uh, from the book Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. We can practice that. Well, David's in pain right now from threats and machinations of enemies. There's not exactly a, a clear connection to something that we can read in Scripture as to what produced this, but there are lots of circumstances that could have. As we've said before, when he's running from Saul, 
when he's facing the threats from his own son, Absalom. Any number of those might fit this psalm. David, we can be sure of, is not praying about a hangnail. He's not complaining that camel feed prices have gone up again. Right? There's real concern. And so his prayer calls for a position of humility and integrity. Now, humility may not be first what comes to mind because David just gets right to it, doesn't he? I mean, in verse 1, Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry, give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. That doesn't sound like humility the way that we think of it. There's this strong beginning, this threefold petition that emphasizes David, the immediacy of David's need. Hear, attend, give ear, Lord. But all sincere prayer requires us to humble ourselves before the sovereignty of God. So who is David praying to? He's praying to Yahweh, to his God, his covenant-keeping, covenant-making God. And that requires humility for him to come before him into the presence of the living God in prayer. And if we do that, then we best humble ourselves. But what's important for us to see here is that humility and boldness are not mutually exclusive. You can come boldly before the Lord in humility because you're coming before him. Instead of saying, you know what, I'll take care of this myself. Isn't that our natural bent? I'll fix it. And yes, Lord, if things get bad enough, then maybe I'll ask for your help. That's not humility. To cry out to God, to ask him to act, does require humility on our part because we have to ask for help. Who's good at asking for help? Okay, I don't see any hands. Now, if I ask you separately, who's good at giving help? Hopefully, lots of hands would go out, right? If your friend came along and asked for your help, you'd say, I'm glad to help you. I've got this. But if you're in that position, guess what? You squirm. You try everything that you can do but to ask for help. That's our natural bent. In uh, Charlie uh, Mackesy's, I don't know if I'm saying that right, um, his his graphic novel, uh, a, a church member shared this with me. The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse. So it's a graphic novel, uh, so sort of like comics, but longer. And the boy asked the horse, what is the bravest thing you ever said? Help, said the horse. Asking for help isn't giving up. It's refusing to give up. requires humility on our part. It required humility on David's part. But he also comes from a position of integrity. Not perfection. Integrity. While we should be careful about having an inflated view of our righteousness, humility coupled with integrity is what should be true of the Christian. And we should be seeking to grow in that. So David's made this prayer, this petition... 
And now he digs in a little bit into where he is in comparison to his enemies. Verse 3, you have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purpose that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. Let us recognize that holiness is a gift from God. And our righteousness before God for the Christian starts with Christ. And so there then becomes a difference between us who are following the Lord, or there should be, and the ways of the world. That's what David is asserting. Not perfection. Not, I'm better than all these other people. But Lord, I'm following your ways and I'm being attacked. I'm under threat. Please respond to my need. That's what David is doing. He has integrity in comparison to those who are seeking to do damage or end his life. Who lie to get what they want and have no regard for the Lord. In that way, those who follow the way of the Lord and know the way of Jesus, then can assert an integrity, while it is not natural, because we are sinners, it is no longer foreign either. Dale Ralph Davis, in his book, says, he is not, speaking of David, not claiming sinlessness, but steadfastness. He's not boasting of of his perfection, but arguing for his consistency. He is saying he has been loyal, not impeccable. Such consistency is important, of course, in its own right. And Davis goes on to share a story about Willie Mays, who was the all-star center fielder for the New York Giants. That would later become the San Francisco Giants. But this was primarily in the 1950s and 60s. And during part of his baseball career, he played under a manager who was a professing Christian. One who was very verbal about his faith. And this manager was someone who didn't uh, use liquor or tobacco. And his team knew that. And he'd make a point about those things. But they also knew that he, a married man, was carrying on an affair with an airline attendant. And Willie Mays said that not only did the manager not win anyone to Christ or to faith. But no one took him seriously when he would talk about it. And, and Davis says they thought consistency was critical. We will ultimately know the position of humility and integrity by being rightly related to the Lord. And so that gives us a place from which we can pray and we can bring our trouble. It does not mean we are sinless. But we are growing in our relationship with the Lord. And so our prayers rise up to the Lord who is ultimately our protection in this world. So we go from the position to the plea. And actually there's three sections of pleas. And we've just looked at the first. That was in verses 1 and 2. And now the second comes here in the middle. And we begin to hear this. In particular, we hear verse 6. I call upon you for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. There's the plea. Hear my words. 
wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. There's a shift at the beginning of verse 6. David's praying to God. When we started, it was hear, attend, give ear. But now he says, I call on you for you will answer me. You see the shift, the, the move towards faith and its expression within this. David is confident in his Lord. And one of the values of sharing and reciting our history, including the biblical storyline, is to be reminded of the Lord's faithfulness. When we are in the thick of trouble, it is hard for us to remember that the Lord has heard our cries and responded to them. When we're undergoing a new trial, it can be difficult for us to remember that God has acted faithfully in the past. I don't mean that if someone came up to you and said, is God faithful to you? You wouldn't say yes and amen. But in the quiet of the night, in the darkness, in those times when you're alone, sometimes we struggle to remember that. But God has answered our prayers, not always to our own designs, but he has been faithful to us. And one of the things that we've been doing over the past couple of years when we have our family meetings, our lunches, is we have individuals or couples share their testimony and remind us of how God has been good to them. And therefore, we can be confident that he is good to us. We celebrate God's grace in that way, and it, it provides us a firm place to stand. And when David says, wondrously show, as the ESV translate, your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand, that's exactly what he's doing. He's digging into the past because this Hebrew word, wondrously show, or in the NIV, show me the wonders of your great love, it's connected with several of the miraculous, miraculous plagues that came against Egypt before Moses leads Israel out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. So what David is asking is, God, perform a miracle on my behalf. Do that again. Work on my behalf. He's making a big ask, but one that remains rooted in the character of the Lord. And that's an important part of our pleas. Our pleas before God should be rooted in his character even if they are informed by our circumstances. Those prayers may be informed by what we're dealing with, but they're rooted in the character of God. So David can say in verse 8, keep me the apple of your eye. That is, have continued regard for me. And hide me in the shadow of your wings. The Lord's covenant people find their refuge in God's great love. And that love will be our protection. And while the language never strays far from the circumstances, and our prayers may not stray far from the circumstances that we're dealing with and the trouble that we experience, let us seek to root those prayers in who God is, how he has acted on our behalf, how he has been kind and merciful and loving 
to us. That's where the, the focus is. There's note of adversaries, verse 7, verse 9, from the wicked who do me violence and my deadly enemies who surround me. So the circumstances are there. But the focus is on God's character. Faith learns to look for certainty of God's promises amidst the circumstances that threaten us. Both are true. I do not diminish the real trouble that we experience or that I have experienced. But God's character is supreme. My circumstances are not. And faith is working towards remembering that day after day. My circumstances may be true, but only the Lord is supreme. We ha- we're doing a summer book club. We're using a book called Side by Side by Ed Welch. We had our first meeting this past Wednesday. And there was a portion, actually, it's a, it's a wonderful book. And there are several things that grab my attention. Uh, but he talks about a couple different conversations that take place. He says there are some conversations in which the heart does not want help. There's that topic again, that theme again. We've had enough and are adamant, no words from God or other people will sway us. And so he goes on to share about someone who is experiencing great, tremendous difficulty. And Welch isn't diminishing that, but at the end of this person's proclamation, they're basically saying, God, I'm done with you. You have acted wickedly. That's what the individual says about God. They say to God, you've acted wickedly like a man. And Welch says his circumstances dominated the inner free-for-all. That was the end of his conversation. He indicted God and felt that there was nothing more to say. Rather than borrow the words from the Psalms of David, he responded with his own anti-Psalm. And he was sticking with it. Again, Welch, and I certainly don't want to do that to diminish circumstances that we would face. Real enemies, real dangers, real lions. That would be cruel. And David doesn't do that either. But the conclusions are different. And that's what we need to hear, brothers and sisters. We need to hear the different conclusion. David continues to cry out, not in condemnation of the Lord, but pleading before him. And that leads us finally to this last point that I want to make about the protection that David enjoys, that we receive when we are in Christ, united to the Lord through our Savior. The final plea moves to a final statement of faith that becomes the exclamation point of this psalm. The last word is one of faith. David is clearly seeking the Lord's protection in this moment. You've heard that already. Asking boldly for the Lord to ask. Hear it again, verse 13. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Who? Look at verse 12. He is like a lion, eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. So then David says, Arise, Lord, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. Be my protection in this time, in this moment. English Standard Version Study Bible, which I often reference, makes this point. In such an environment of threat and faith, the proper recourse is prayer for the enemy's defeat. Though their repentance may be preferred 
that enemy seems closed. These it references verse 10. And thus deliverance for the pious requires defeat for the attacker. The specific kind of defeat is left up to God. So faith in the Lord's protection asks, but ultimately trusts the Lord's ways. That's what David's asking for. And the question that is constantly before us is, will we seek protection from the Lord, or will we seek protection from this world? That's what's reflected in verse 14. Deliver my soul, verse 13, from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. If you do not have the Lord, then the best that you have, the best that you can do, the best hope that you will have is in what God himself has provided through his common grace. And indeed, he does provide for this world. He gives liberally to all. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. But if the world is the best that you have, it will not be enough to rescue you from the day of trouble. And we do not know what that day will be. Right? Just watch the news or, or, or see it in your own, through your own lens and you'll see people who start off at the beginning of the day thinking, I'm going to go experience something phenomenal. I've got my billions, I've got my millions, let's go do something fun. And at the end of the day, they do not exist in this world any longer. If that's all you have, it will not be sufficient to rescue you from the day of trouble. Your treasure will not be sufficient in that moment. So what is our ultimate protection? Look at verse 15. This is where it ends. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. See, the, it's the contrast. There's those who are satisfied with the treasures of this world and those who will be tre uh, satisfied with the Lord. And that protection for us comes ultimately through the righteousness of Christ and the resurrection that we have in him. We have the promise of seeing the Lord face to face, not because of your or mine inherent holiness. It's nothing within us, but because we receive the righteousness of Christ that is given to us as a gift, imputed to us, received by faith, then we will behold the face of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that's something that, is, that gets me excited. It's something to long for, to look forward to. But don't take it lightly. And don't presume upon it. But do hear what John writes in 1 John. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we, we shall see him as he is. And when we awake, and most commentators think that David, sorry, wasp, it's real trouble in this world. 
Most commentators think that David is referring to the sleep of death. That when he awakes, and when we awake from that sleep, especially, we will be fully in God's presence. David says, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Protected for eternity. There's a hymn, a line came to mind, solid joys and lasting treasure. These glorious things of thee are spoken. That will be ours. Again, Welch in, in his book Side by Side offers something better. And he tells a different conversation. A man goes to a doctor's appointment and he receives the news that none of us want to receive. It's a cancer diagnosis. The prognosis is not good. And the first words that he says to his wife, nothing has changed. That is not diminishing the trouble or the trial. He, Welch says there were plenty of tears. There was lots of heartache. But this man's faith was ultimately in his protection that is rooted not in what he can accomplish, but what the Lord has done for us. When I awake, when we awake, we will be satisfied with your likeness, O Lord. What great joy there will be for us in that time. One day, and I'll conclude with this, we won't need the glass, I think, at least if I'm reading scripture correctly. We won't need the glass because we, we're told in Isaiah 11, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. We won't need the glass to protect us from the lion that stalks. We will be in God's peace, surrounded by it for eternity. But for now, we do seek his protection out of a position of humility and growing integrity, pleading that God would care for us. We will feast in the house of Zion, we sometimes sing. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things, we will say together. We will feast and we will weep no more. We will not be burned by the fire. He is the Lord our God. We are not consumed by the flood. Upheld, protected, gathered up. What joy that will be for us. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for the Psalms. They teach us. They teach our hearts. They give words for our minds and our prayers. Lord, you lead us in our entire being. And we do face trouble in this world. And so, Lord, we pray that as we recognize that, as we see it, as we deal with difficult news or difficult developments in our lives, that we would seek your protection. Not the protection that the world offers, but the protection that you give us through Christ and that we will know for eternity what great joy will be there for us when we gather to worship you around your throne and we lie down with the lion and fear nothing in this, from this world. For it will be completely redeemed. Your work will be complete. But until that time, Lord, be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.